Welcome to Woke and Confused, the podcast delving into the environmental dilemmas of our time. From palm oil to plastics, climate change to behaviour change, doing the right thing can be a complete minefield. We're on this journey with you and we'll be exploring some of the day-to-day challenges we face and the decisions we struggle to make. We're your hosts, Livy Drake and Jessica Farrow, and we're Woke and Confused. Coming up in today's episode, we deal with the dilemmas of travel, including flying, carbon offsetting and the slow travel movement. We also talk about some practical campaigns that you can get behind. This is the third episode of Woken Confused. We want to start off by saying thank you to all of our listeners. We've been so bowled over by all the awesome messages and great feedback that we've had so far and we love reading all your messages so do keep them coming they're great we do read all of them and if you want to hop on over to apple Podcasts and give us a rating a star rating or even a review we'd absolutely love that so we could grow our listenership we'll get started with today's episode and with our eco dilemmas dilemmas so jess what's been going on for you Well, so we're talking about travel and transport today. So I think it's kind of apt that I've been thinking about my camper van. I have a diesel camper van. Full full confession. Uh, It's not a very environmental thing to own, I'm aware. Um, And when I was driving around yesterday, I did notice the kind of black smoke coming out the back of it, which made me feel pretty awful. I don't drive it very often and use it mainly for getting away and weekend trips and that kind of thing. Although my boyfriend does use it to get to work. Uh, maybe in a service? Yeah, it's actually, it's 21 years old. So it does have um, a pretty bad track record of needing repairs and everything. Um, so, but then on the other hand, it does encourage us to take lovely holidays in the UK and not have to fly anywhere. And we've got lots of nice summer festivals planned and we're going to Cornwall. And it really helps to encourage, explore this wonderful country that we, we live in. So it is a bit of a dilemma because vans, they do have some electric vans, but um, they're very few and far between and they're very expensive right now. Well, I actually gave up a car a few years ago. I'm not saying I'm holier than thou um, (laughs) or you. Um, And for ages, um, I've been struggling to get around um, to go to the countryside. And that's why I'm an environmentalist, because I love animals and I love nature. So I've started hiring an electric car through a scheme called CoWheels. But um, they do something where they charge you £5 a month if you don't use it. So then I feel inclined to use it more. and I feel like that's a bit, you know, it's unnecessary. If you don't need to go somewhere, you don't need to get in a car just, f- you know, for the hell of it. It's weird, isn't it, though? Because, like, when you have a car or a van, you're paying for the tax and insurance anyway. So there's always a, a minimum cost to owning mm. it. And it does co- and the repairs and it has cost quite a lot of money having it. Um, but I just do love having it. I love the freedom. It just makes me feel so happy to wake up in the van and be by the sea. Yeah. So that's a dilemma of mine. And I suppose the other thing is the environmental impacts of scrapping that vehicle and making a new vehicle is actually, some argue, significantly higher. And that environmental impact of that electric vehicle battery 
is huge. So whilst it gives out less uh, carbon and fumes, the actual making of it has a very significant carbon footprint. Yeah, definitely. And I do feel like if I, because because it's a van, I do actually, it's quite like not so nimble to drive around. And I do, I basically walk and cycle everywhere on a daily basis. And I'm only using the van where needed and necessary. And I feel like if I had a car, like a small petrol car, like I used to have, I'd probably be more likely to be like, oh, I'll just hop into the car. I think I do think more carefully about driving the van because I do feel a bit more of a guilt around it. I do know that we're going to probably <laughs> in Bristol get like diesel schemes soon and probably I won't have any choice but to give it up at some point in coming years. But I suppose I'm enjoying it for now. <laughs> Maybe that's bad. <laughs> Sorry. So um, my dilemma um, has been all around... Uh, People on Facebook having lots to say for themselves and um, particularly around all the Extinction Re Rebellion, I had people commenting on my um, feed who were chemtrail conspiracy theorists and I had a real dilemma about whether I should block them or try and enter into a dialogue because in the spirit of not living in a echo chamber, an eco echo chamber, mm. um, I thought I should engage with them. But then they, they were rude about uh, David Attenborough and they called him a C-U-N-T. <gasps> uh, what? Yeah, so at that point, um, well, actually. David. And then they say, say that. that Greta, was she's part of the chemtrail movement and she's a poster girl for it. I don't what? understand. I'm not even going to go into the ridiculousness <laughs> of chemtrail conspiracy theorists and environmental things. But needless to say, I did actually block them. Then I felt really guilty. So then I text them. To say, could we have a conversation about this in the spirit of being a nice, you know, libertarian? And they said yes on SMS. So now I just get... On SMS? Who uses that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. Who uses that word, SMS? So now I just get um, infrequent um, links on my SMS feed um, of chemtrail conspiracy theory uh, articles. And have you read them? They're... Yeah, it's trying to. I still, it doesn't make any sense to me. I still don't understand. But yeah, that, it's not my dilemma to understand them. It was to try and be a nice, open-minded human. I think it's really interesting. I think it's definitely really important to keep open-minded and make sure that we're not getting into an echo chamber and thinking about other people's points of view. Because as an environmental movement, we're not going to move forward unless we can understand each other. But it does sound quite extreme. Yeah, you look up on it and we can discuss it another time. Okay. But yeah, I think on the whole, I understand what you've done. Let you off. So as I've said in previous episodes, I've been feeling insanely guilty about taking a flight earlier this year. And the reason that I've been feeling guilty about it is because aviation is a big global carbon emitter. Um, and it actually contributes to 2% of global emissions which doesn't sound like too much, but it's set to rise to 16% of global emissions by 2050. And on an individual level, what that actually looks like is, so the carbon footprint of a citizen in the EU at the moment is 8.4 tonnes per year. So that's how much um, carbon our lifestyles creates. Ideally, if we're going to um, prevent climate change getting any worse, we need to be reducing that to 0.6 tonnes. That's a big drop, big drop. And it turns out that my last flight to um, Mexico was about, depends on which calculator I look at, 3.4 tonnes. So I'm eating cabbage for the rest of this year and walking. So just to recap, 0.6 tonnes is where we're wanting to get to and we're currently at 8 tonnes. 
and a f- one flight is around three tons. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. So that gives some context. So, yeah, feeling insanely guilty. What am I going to do about it, Jess? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I feel I feel your pain. I also feel pretty guilty about this. This is obviously a big elephant in the room in the middle class environmental movement. Um, yeah, and anyone so. who's taking flights for for business or for leisure. Um, and it's definitely something that we need to address. So a lot of people would say offsetting. Offsetting is a, an answer. So let's look at that. So what's the deal? So what's the deal with offsetting? So offsetting is a way to reduce your emissions that you have have made or that you can't reduce yourself. So the idea is that, so in a case of a flight, you find out how many tons of carbon you've emitted. So say three tons for your flight. Um, and then you look at how you can fund projects that stop that those two or three tons being emitted elsewhere. So that could be through funding a renewable energy project in China, or it could be through funding cook stoves in India, or it could be through planting trees in the Amazon. Mm, but shouldn't those things just be happening anyway? Yes, and they are. Um, but the point is with carbon offsets is that this money that is used from the offsetting funds is used to invest in projects that wouldn't have happened anyway. So this is actually specifically, usually rich countries playing more developing countries in development projects, basically, to have a more low carbon trajectory in their development. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of issues in all of that, isn't there? Lots of issues. Yeah, there's a kind of interesting social justice issue. You know, are us rich countries just going to carry on polluting and carrying on having these high carbon impact lives and then just paying other countries to to not emit that carbon yeah okay so what did you decide to do about your offsetting so i yeah so like you i took a flight earlier this year i went to nepal uh and i found out on a carbon calculator that that is actually equal to two tons of co2 which is um when we look at that 0.6 tons figure that we're trying to get to that's clearly blown my budget by four times um for the year (laughs) so yeah uh, i've already taken the flight it was uh, a family occasion so um there's actually this really interesting idea that i read in george monbiot's book about love miles uh which is all about kind of the fact that we live in the globalized society and all our families are spread across the world and when we're going to these events or occasions that's to do with family it's going to be very hard to reduce those so i do feel like in this situation i really wanted to take this flight it was a family occasion Uh, so offsetting for me took the form of I went to climatecare.org. So they're an organization, um, they're a, they're a for-profit company, they're a B Corp and they What run does a B Corp mean? Uh, it is a benefit corporation. So it's a for-profit company that actually puts profit on a similar level to their stakeholders and the planet. And so they've got some ethics. Is that yeah, what you're so trying to So it's basically, it's an ethical business. Okay, um, great. Sounds all right. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm a skeptic here. I'm very skeptical about all okay, of this. Okay, well, check out B Corp. It's a very it's a very good initiative that's happening. And it's a movement that's happening all around the world. Um, so Climate Care, they're a good company. I've done some work with them before. Um, so I know them. I do trust them. And um, I went onto their carbon calculator on their website. And you can offset uh, car travel. You can offset an event. You can offset a flight. So it was a very simple tool. I could put in my destination and it's calculated the tons. And then it told me that to offset my flight, it would cost £15. Wow. So the return flight, the two tons, uh, would cost £15. And um, that it didn't specify what projects it was going into. I know they work on a lot of projects. But I know from talking to them that they would have used that money to 
invest in the most effective project that they have running at the time. Mm -hmm. So it would kind of go into boost whatever projects they're running rather than me setting that me trying to get a new project set up with obviously 15 pounds is not going to go anywhere. It just goes into their pot. So I decided to do that for me and my boyfriend. So for two of us, it was 30 pounds. Um, and yeah, he was a bit more skeptical than I was, I have to say about, uh, where that money was going. I thought, yeah, great. I'm going to be supporting these projects. Whereas he was like, well, you just paid some money to people to basically offset to make you feel yeah. less guilty. Yeah, guilt money. I mean, I have been so confused by this whole thing that it's taken me months to get to the point I've got to now. And I did a lot of reading around it and I went on the Ethical Consumer website and they raised some of the issues there are with tree planting, tree planting campaigns, because there's no guarantee that the trees even grow. Um, they're in some places they're just putting forests um, of monocrops, just one single type of tree on farmers' land in um, in the global south, saying, "Oh, we're we're planting a forest here," taking no consideration of what those people might be wanting this land for. Um, and there is a thing that you know trees take a long time to grow, so they're not necessarily sequestering the amount of carbon that you want straight away. So what I've decided to do, which is what the Ethical Consumer website suggested, was either you go to a gold standard scheme, so you know it's been vetted, but they did say there's even some issues with that. But they also said go and look at um, environmental campaigns or people who are doing climate and carbon reduction projects. So I decided to support a wetlands organisation, Wetlands International, who are protecting and working with local communities to protect mangrove forests, which are called blue forests, peatlands and other marshlands, which are actually places which we need to protect because they sequester carbon out of the atmosphere which means they suck it out of the atmosphere and turn it into um, oxygen they also are places that if they're being disturbed will release carbon so peatlands are a big issue for that so i've decided to support them um I've, i'm still debating on the amount of money because when i looked at these calculators and i tried a few of them i had the range of 17 pounds to 75 pounds which i mean that <laughs> How, how's this calculate this is the thing there's just not enough transparency and i think no you exactly. know we we work in this sector we are close to these issues and i so i completely understand why for most consumers it's a, a real minefield trying to understand so what i'd say so in any case offsetting is better than doing nothing but we have to look at other options like reducing i yes. mean how about we stop being so middle class and seeing that we're entitled to go on these holidays and we're entitled to go on city breaks i mean that probably needs to be addressed addressed absolutely it does and that's the the hard truth that everyone needs to face up to so to look into these issues i interviewed anna hughes anna hughes is an environmental campaigner and she's also running the flight free 2020 campaign in the uk so welcome anna thank you hello so i guess first of all can you just tell us what the no fly movement is all about so it's encouraging people to fly less overall and specifically our campaign is asking for people to not fly at all in in 2020 so it's like taking a year off we kind of see it as like the veganuary of aviation you know it's like setting yourself a challenge and just taking some time um, out of um, off flying if that is your habit so if you're someone who does go on several city breaks a year and a long um, long haul holiday in the summer or whatever it is and um, perhaps next year you could try and look at different ways to holiday or um, look at ways that you could avoid using a flight um, and the reason is because flying 
is the biggest way that you can contribute to your carbon footprint. So it's if you if you're someone who flies, that will make up the the largest chunk of your carbon output in any given year. So um, we're trying to get the conversation started about the carbon impact of aviation, and we're also actually actively encouraging people to to fly less and specifically to not fly next year because i read something um interesting on your twitter feed and it was about um the impact of flying versus um eating no meat yeah and what were the do you have those figures to hand because there was something yeah so i mean it does depend where you fly of course but lots of people say well aviation only accounts for two percent of global emissions whereas meat and dairy account for 15 percent. so surely um it's actually we should be focusing on our diets more and those figures are correct looking at it that way and as a global industry yes meat and dairy has more of an impact that simplistically can be explained because everybody eats, but not everybody flies. So globally, there, are, there is a small proportion of people who do actually jump on aeroplanes. However, if we're looking on an individual footprint, if you are vegan, you're saving perhaps two tonnes of carbon dioxide per year compared, compared to someone who eats meat. Um, and that's the amount that you would expend in a single flight if you were going to you know, um, the north coast of... Uh, Africa or whatever it was short hauls a little less but if you're going anywhere that's kind of medium to long haul that's two tons of carbon in a single trip it's really <laughs> shocking when you look at it like that okay and so for you because obviously um you don't fly you've given up flying it, yeah. and um and you w- was there kind of like an aha moment for you when you decided to stop flying my last flight was to Jersey which is where my sister lives and I landed and I thought, why on earth did I fly here? Because you can very easily get to Jersey by other means on the, on the boat. Um, and I, I was aware of the carbon impact of flights at that time. So I kind of, I realised that I wasn't actually acting in the way that I knew I should be. It kind of takes a while, doesn't it, to come to that realisation, to come to that personal moment of, oh, okay, maybe I could change the way I'm doing this or um realizing exactly what impact your actions have um but yeah it was definitely that kind of short flight 35 minutes to jersey i was like i could definitely have done that by sea and i'm not gonna fly again (laughs) (laughs) is that when you started getting into cycling i've always been into cycling actually so i've been a cyclist my whole life in terms of i used to ride my bike to school and then i rode my bike to university um and it wasn't until my adulthood that i actually kind of saw myself as a as a cyclist as a kind of identity thing sounds a bit strange mm-hmm. um but yeah i um i i then went from having the bike as simply a utility vehicle like the way i got to work um, and it became a a method of exploring and adventure so um back in 2011 i cycled around the coast of the uk so that's mm. a 4000 4000 mile trip um, and that was my kind of wow this this is in a this is a, a huge adventure and I haven't even left the UK isn't this amazing so that opened a lot of doors in terms of becoming um, a touring cyclist and being a spokesperson on cycling and becoming an author as well because I wrote about that journey Um, so yeah I would say cycling has always been part of what I do but it's definitely more um, now kind of part of my identity if that's the right way to say it. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, it's almost like now the world's so connected. We can jump on a plane. We can go anywhere. We can go to 
kind of the jungles in mm. Central America or we can go to, you know, the, the desert in uh, Africa. But yeah. it's almost like it's not an adventure anymore because <laughs> you just fly there and you get there and you're not really, you can easily just parachute in and not really interact with yeah. the cultures along the way. And um, it's almost like, I think what is a really positive thing about the um, no fly movement is it's kind of, or, and, and the cycle touring and all the other kind of slow travel movement is all about bringing that adventure back in. And it's kind of like going on a journey and feeling like you're going on a journey and moving through places yeah. at, a hum, at a human speed. Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm a massive advocate of slow travel. So that doesn't, or that doesn't just mean riding a bike or walking that um, any kind of slow travel um, that doesn't involve flying counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, as you just said, it means that your journey is as important and as exciting and means just as much as your destination. So, um, for example, I took a train to Copenhagen last year and that, even though the train was traveling exceptionally fast, that's still slow travel. It was still mm-hmm. connected to the ground. And um, the the point of it is, is about the mindset. So it wasn't that we um, got, got kind of conveyor belted through an airport transported as if by magic by by this aluminium tube parachute dropped into this new culture it was very organic and um as the as the train passes through all these cities first of all you can see them you can feel how big europe is because it's it is big it takes a long time to get to copenhagen and so it should because it's Mm -hmm. far away (laughs) Um, (laughs) and yeah every stop new people got on and different people got off and we heard the language evolving and and we saw the landscape evolving and um we got off at our connection stops and had a cup of coffee in hamburg and had a glass of champagne in in brussels and you know this is all very exciting stuff and and that was also part of the trip so it wasn't just like two hours you're suddenly in a new culture it was gradually getting there and um, lots of people say well we need international travel so we can understand each other better and I totally agree but that doesn't mean we fly there mm-hmm. and actually I feel that flying causes us to un- understand each other less but even if you do want that foreign holiday you can still access Portugal, Spain, France, Croatia, Italy easily by train. Totally. Yeah. That's it. I, I, I went to Cornwall in the heat wave and it was like I thought I was in the Mediterranean absolutely um, yeah it was absolutely amazing i um, know we, we so often look beyond our shores when actually there's so much here there's so much yeah there's so many benefits and i think i think that's what's really interesting about um the flight free movement it's it's kind of how you look at that other side of the coin and say what are all the benefits to not flying? Mm, you know and there's so much to discover in those other ways absolutely so so tell us a bit more about the petition so um it's a pledge rather than a petition we're asking people to pledge not to fly next year we're focusing on 2020 mostly because for most people if if flying is part of your annual habit um, then it takes time to get your head around the fact that you might not be doing that and then book other holidays and all that kind of stuff so um we're working up towards it for next year and also the unique thing about the pledge is that we're asking for 100,000 people to make the same pledge and no one has to do it unless we get to that number. So um, it definitely gives that kind of people powered action to it because it's so easy for, for one person to say, oh, well, I'm only one person. What difference can I make? And then not to bother trying. But if you can see that there are hundreds of thousands of other people who are willing to change their behavior in the same way and you think you're all, you're all in this together, it's far easier to make that sacrifice if we're going to use that word so yeah i guess finally uh, what kind of tips or words of encouragement do you have for people who are thinking about reducing or cutting out their flying 
Well, I would say initially that it's, it, as we've already said, it's not about restricting yourself. It is simply about looking at things in a different way. So it might take a little bit more planning to plan a flight-free holiday because uh, the industry doesn't make it easy for us. You know, you, you, you think of going to a city and you go on Skyscanner and straight away you can book your flight within two minutes. Um, if you're looking at trains, then it's far more complicated, although there are some amazing websites like Loco2 um, and like The Man in Seat 61. They have got really good travel tips. So um, you just need to know where to look, really. Um, so that, that bit takes a little bit of dedication. But once you have kind of got your head around the whole logistics of it, actually just sit back and enjoy the journey you know it is just a phenomenal way to travel um, and as we've already said you can go to far off places and it's just trying to relax and trying to see that it's it's quite good for our mental health I think as well to not be sort of rushing around and feeling that we need that instant gratification all the time and just being able to slow things down and kind of really appreciate where you are and connect and I, I feel that we I feel that we really would have a much better relationship with our planet if we just still slowed down a little bit totally agree well Anna thank you so much I really appreciate you joining us thank you we'll be definitely checking out your website and your campaign and so thank you so much yeah I really do agree with Anna on the slow travel thing I have, um, for quite a few years, I didn't actually fly. So I took lots of train trips to Europe and I um, started cycling loads. And it is amazing. You see such different things. And I actually discovered a lot more of England, which I had never done because I was just popped on a plane to Europe. But I do think we have to remember that going on holiday in England can mean a wet weekend in Wales. And it's not always that fun. And I mean, climate climate breakdown might be making it worse if we look out the window now and the other thing about the slow travel piece is it is a lot more expensive so for people who um maybe taking a family away who don't have a budget then their one trip to you know Menorca or something you know it's quite hard to say that they should give that up absolutely um however in Sweden this movement's really taking off See what ah. I did there? See what I did there? Ah, um, so the Swedes have actually invented a word um, which is to encourage people not to fly. And it is flygskam. Sorry. Say it, say it better. Come Fli- on. Flygskam. <laughs> Sorry to any of our Swedish listeners. Um, flygskam. Actually- <laughs> flygskam. Um, flygskam. It actually it mean? means flight shame so oh. it basically it's that thing that we have where scam on you <laughs> so it's kind of like saying like yeah so i took a flight to whatever it's that feeling of guilt that you have ah. which is like oh you don't oh. want to mention that you're going um on a flight this is what i'm feeling yeah Flickscham. Flickscham. yes and um apparently it's really working so passenger numbers in swedish airports have dropped by eight percent this year mm. according to an article in the world economic forum and um in a recent survey around a quarter of Swedes said they decided not to fly to save the planet. A quarter. And what have they been doing instead? They've been getting the train. Well, yeah, see, this is the issue we've got on, is we're in a little island, aren't we? And to get off this island, we have, to, well, a lot of people have to fly. And the worst thing is, is that the um, the cheap flights have actually stopped loads of the ferry crossings. So you used to be able to get to Denmark from the UK, and that passage has gone, and lots of others. So when I've been looking into it, it's actually been really challenging. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't look into it. I'm just saying it's challenging. It's definitely a challenge. And not everyone has an extra day or two to 
um, go on the train. And actually, the Swedish actually have a special word for for train bragging, which train is tagging, tag script. Which is train bragging. So people on social media saying, hey, look at me, get on the train. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to be doing that soon uh, when I go to Belgium on the train. Uh, because I have decided as a freelance consultant that I can put in my contracts that if I have a meeting in Europe, then I'm going to go by train and the client can pick up the cost for that. Ah, well, so is, have they got one for bus bragging? <laughs> I'm going to be bus bragging um, when I go to uh, Hungary this summer. So I'm also um, f- freelance um, and I do some contract work and I am going to go on the bus. It's going to take about 24 to 30 hours, then six hours on a train. Um, so in order to do this, I'm actually going to spend a month away. I'm going to work for a couple of weeks while I'm away and then have two weeks of a cycling holiday. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to be on that bus. <laughs> bus bragging. Bus bragging with a really sore bum. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. And I love it. It is just, yeah, we have to check ourselves and say not everyone has the the luxury of working mm. in the way we do working in. Uh, we kind of can take our laptops and work on the train, but not everyone has that that thing that they can take that extra few days or weeks off work to do this slow travel. So let's actually look at some campaigns that are running at the moment to try and improve that. Because there is actually uh, an initiative happening right now, which is called... Free Ride? Free Ride. A free ride. So the idea with the free ride is that rather than everyone being penalised with sort of increasing taxes and and scam that you get um, everyone gets a, a free tax-free ride a year a flight and then after that the more flights you take the um, taxes increase so if you're one of these people who goes um, every other weekend on a city break you would be taxed more from it than someone who goes away once a year which i think that's that's fair yeah, I think that's, so that's really cool. A free ride. That's really cool. You can sign up to the campaign on the on the freeride.org website. Links in the show notes. So, and then also there's this back to the kind of employers thing. If you don't have time to take off extra days for work, there's actually this um, climateperks.com, which is basically a campaign to get more employers to give their employees an extra two paid days off per year to use for sustainable travel or for slow travel so it's the company would still pay that leave for that employee but they would join a roster or a network of organizations that are doing this for the climate and the environment and they get all sorts of positive reinforcement and good pr from doing that so check it out climateperks.com if you're an employer or an employee there's information for you there on how you can get signed up and then the last one is there's um, an EU petition to tax kerosene. Do you want to explain that? Why are they calling it kerosene? <laughs> kerosene. It sounds really uh, cool, doesn't it? But um, kerosene is basically the aviation fuel that is used um, to fly planes. And currently, unbelievably, it's not taxed. Yeah, unlike on other modes of transport. So so it's actually, um, there's a petition happening right now in the EU to put a tax on kerosene. So it more clearly reflects the true cost of the um, that method of transport. So there's a petition you can sign right now and um, we'll give a link in the show notes. And I uh, highly recommend you sign that. It's quite cool. You can see which EU countries have signed up more. Germany are currently a high percentage, as are Belgium. And obviously the other thing is you can uh, join the Flight Free 2020 movement and start thinking now about what a year would look like without flying. So now let's have a look at what's in Greenwash Corner. (laughs) 
Greenwash Corner. Well, it kind of apt, uh, given the topic today on flying, there was Etihad Airlines, which is uh, based out of Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, had decided to do a the first plastic-free flight. For Earth Day. For Earth Day uh, a few weeks ago. So they looked at how much single-use plastic they were using on their flights, which, as you can imagine, from every toothpaste and toothbrush uh, to the cups and the cutlery and everything, it adds up to quite a lot. And they had identified, I think, something like 96 uh, items which they could replace with quote-unquote eco-alternatives. Um, so that included things like blankets made out of plastic bottles, and eco toothbrushes not sure whether they were bamboo ones um yeah so they did that for earth day and they said that anything they couldn't find alternatives for they didn't put onto the flight so i think that does sound like a good move um in terms of whether it's greenwash or not i think it's they probably wanted to be the first to claim that they were plastic free and i'm sure that a lot of the things they switched to were biodegradable or bio-based plastics which um we've kind of talked about a bit on this show already that aren't necessarily the silver bullet that they appear to be. So I think this is really good to see. I think it's a great step in the right direction. And I think more airlines should step up and follow suit in light of the plastic crisis we're in. But I'd, I'd need to know more about the actual materials. solutions and materials themselves to know whether or not it's greenwash. Yeah, I think if they're just replacing it with more single-use items, then they're still... They said they've diverted... Um, 50 kilos of plastics from landfill but did they just put 50 kilos of bioplastic in landfill <laughs> or cardboard which still have got a big environmental impact so livy what have you put in greenwash corner this week well there's this really funny campaign from evian called flip it for good oh god have you <laughs> seen, seen it? this it's so bad so um it's oh. the idea of putting a bottle that you find in nature so you find a bit of litter in nature and you put it in a bin and what and and Evian do something? I don't know. No, don't so it's basically it. no. It's if you have an Evian bottle, you throw it into the recycling bin, and if you show a video of you on social media flipping your bottle in an extravagant way into a recycling bin, then for every video that you send in, Evian will clean up a bottle out of nature by investing in a uh, bottle recycling in the Philippines. Yeah. Well. I mean, that's getting kicked into... I'm flipping them, flipping them <laughs> to the corner of Greenwash Corner and they can stay there because these companies should be... They shouldn't even be allowed to sell plastic in countries where there's not a recycling system. They should have set up that infrastructure before they even started, um, you know, filling those markets with it. And I'd also like to put other water companies in there as well because uh, Volvic the other day were doing a giveaway out in the streets and they had these massive big bins saying recyclable. Well, of course, pet plastic's recyclable. It's always been. And putting a bin there where you're just doing the, um, the activation isn't going to do anything because it was a massive bottle of water. Someone's not going to drink all that bottle of water and put it in that bin that they had there. So... I mean, what they should be talking about is how much recycled content they've got in their plastic bottles, which they currently don't have. So that's the end of today's episode on flying and travel. We really hope that what we've given you here is some food for thought. It's obviously an immensely complicated topic and there's no one clear answer. But do your research, check out our show notes, got those links in there. 
Thanks, Livy. See you next time. Thanks, Jeff. See you next time.